Read. The Lord is near. Uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. All right, so today we're talking about prayer. And as we jump into prayer, this is my, well, we've been in the series now for almost a month. It's my first chance to be able to talk on the subject. So I'm going to open up our series. Um, no, uh, but as I talk about prayer, the, the, the first thing that I want to hit on for, as I get to talk about it is who we are actually praying to. Before we jump into the what, it's the who. Who are the person, the person we're praying to? And, and this God, as we saw in Philippians, this God who is near. Uh, you know, a couple years ago, uh, Justin Bieber made the headlines, uh, the famous musician for those that know him, uh, because he was charging 1500 bucks for a photo. And it turns out at this concert, you go, I, I know some people who, I read some article about people who did it, you go to this photo, 1500 bucks, turns out it ended up being a group photo, where just a bunch of people, they slammed together, he kind of came out, they snapped a photo, everyone pays her 1500 bucks, and he's off to the next group, just purse, cha-ching, 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 all the way through, right? And then some of these people said they thought it was worth it just to be able to have Bieber in a photo with him, though they didn't get to meet him, didn't get to greet him, he was just rushed in and rushed out, right? That seems like a lot of money to just be near somebody that's famous. But that's nothing. I was reading this article this past week. Taylor Swift. Any Swifties in the house? Um, Taylor Swift is, is doing these, uh, this big show, Iris Tour, right now. And here's the title of the article. It was Taylor Swift's Toronto ticket sales start today, and they're already being resold for $121,000 for tickets. And that wasn't even the front row, that ticket that went for that price. So people are willing to pay $100,000 to just be somewhat near to Taylor Swift. And that doesn't even include a meet and greet, let alone a group photo of some kind with, with Beaver. Or people pay even more to be with celebrities. I was looking at the cost. What does it cost to like hang out with a celebrity and invite them to your party? Locally, local legends, sir, makes a lot. Apparently, you can get to your house for like a, a paltry 15 grand, apparently. Uh, whereas Macklemore will cost about 300 grand from what I looked at. Uh, William Shatner will do it for like 50 grand, which is pretty awesome uh, if you want to be able to do that. Uh, but if you need like three million, though, if you want to bring in like uh, Mariah Carey or Justin Bieber or someone like that. And in fact, that doesn't even begin to compare. Last year, um, the investor Warren Buffett, someone paid $19 million to have a lunch with him, just to be able to hang out with him for a meal and, and seek his wisdom on investing. And I thought that's fascinating because the amount of money and time and resources people are put in to hang out with a, a famous person or a celebrity of some kind. And yet it's amazing, that passage we just read begins, it says, don't be anxious, but that's not where it begins. It begins, it says, the Lord is near. And it's one of my favorite passages, because that's really the beginning of all things, that God is near to us. I mean, did we know that the God of the universe, the God who spoke the world into existence, the God who created the rainbows and the mountains and the oceans and the galaxies, the, the same God, that same God created us to be in an intimate relationship with him. He says he is near to us. He dwells with us right here and, and right now. I mean, isn't that just insane? The God of the universe longs to be with us. We look back at this in the fall going through Ephesians, but in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this to the Ephesians. He says in verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Here is, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. 
This is where we dwell. This is our our spiritual identity. We dwell with Christ. We are seated with Christ. He is with us here and now. I mean, do we ever take time to consider the empowerful, amazing reality of that fact that right now the God of the universe dwells with us and we dwell with him? Much closer than a group photo with Bieber or for front row $100,000 tickets at at a Taylor Swift concert. The God of the universe is right here with us, right now in this room. Wherever we go, it's worth just taking some time to reflect on the beautiful reality that this is where it begins. This God, he is near and he is here. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, may you open up our eyes to the reality of your presence. Jesus, may you open up our ears to your voice. Father, may you help us be more in tune with the reality of your presence, that you are here with us. We dwell in your presence, Lord God. And may we be able to see you a little more clearly today, Lord Jesus. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. How frequently do we lose sight of this? How frequently does prayer just become a a routine of saying words to a a distant God who is out there, this blimp-like God who dwells at a distance? How frequently in prayer do we just go through the motions, come come before him with a laundry list of things and check the box and move on without recognizing who it is that we're meeting with and talking to? I mean, do we get excited to spend time with this king? Do we look forward to be able to engage with him in prayer? Do we consider a privilege to sit with him and read his word and and talk to the creator of the universe? Do do we have anticipation of spending time with him? And does he consume our thoughts? Do we ever go to bed and struggle to sleep because we just can't wait to wake up to spend more time with this loving, amazing God? That's what Paul is praying over the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul begins in verse 12 and says, Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. I love that. But then he goes on in verse 14, he begins praying for the Ephesians, and he says this. (coughs) For this reason, I kneel before the Father, he says for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Here it is. He says, I pray that he, God, may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray again, here it is, being rooted and firmly established in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints What is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love? And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. To know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh, thanks, David. I love that. Paul just gets caught up in this glory cloud of the beauty of who Christ is. In fact, in chapter 1, he says he prays for the church that the eyes of their heart would be opened to how amazing this God is, how wonderful and powerful and holy he is. They would be overwhelmed by his beauty and his love and his might and his power. 
And the Holy Spirit would give them the power to comprehend how amazing his love is. And yet it's so easy today for us to lose sight of this. Paul's praying over them because they needed that. And we need it today again too. Because it's so easy for us just to kind of get caught up in the do's and the don'ts and, and all that goes on in life of, of the rights and the wrongs and this incredible life-giving, abundant life in Christ, this deep relationship with God of the universe can often just turn into some kind of system of beliefs and just things that we, we, we do rather than a relationship with the living God when we lose sight of him. And I have to admit that I'm one of the greatest hypocrites of this. I can get so easily distracted away from enjoying this God who is near and move on to doing my duty and turning God into kind of a blimp-like God who's far away, and I lose sight of his beauty and his wonder as I just get caught up in all the enticements of this world and the busyness and the hurriedness of the world around me. And it's something I think we all do. As we become over-familiar with something and we forget how amazing it is, kind of like whoever it is that you know, cleans the royal diamonds in London of the billions of dollars of diamonds and kind of begins after a while just forget how amazing and precious these things are. But it's also something I recognize I do with my wife as well. I'm kind of an idiot. I'll never forget when we were dating, right before we got married, and my parents were doing our premarital counseling, and one time, um, well, one, Sarah, one of Sarah's greatest qualities, I mean, she has so many, but one of them is that she finds incredible joy in so many different things, and sometimes it's in food or in, in, in flowers or in, in coffee and other stuff, and I don't tend to get excited about those things as much, and so there was one time where Sarah was going off and just was going on to how excited she was, and about something and just experiencing incredible joy and something I thought wasn't a big deal. And I started to make fun of her for it. And I started to tease her for why she's finding so much joy in this thing. And my dad who is sitting there. He looks at me and he says, James, how big of an idiot are you? <laughs> he says, your future wife whom you cherish is experiencing delight and joy. And instead of you sharing in that, Instead of you experiencing that joy with her and loving her, you're seeking to crush her and tearing her down for one of the greatest gifts she has. He goes, how dumb are you? What is wrong with you? The correct answer would be many, many things and really, really dumb, right? <laughs> obviously, obviously. Right? But often we do the same thing in our relationship with God. If I'm not intentional in my times with him, I can get in a rut where, you know, playing with my phone somehow seems more interesting than actually spending time with him or where late night TV binges or Netflix shows or something else can somehow seem more engaging than being able to wake up and have time with the God of the universe as the most amazing, sacred, beautiful, holy being ever imagined wants to spend time with me. Instead, I, I, I'm more interested in playing Wordle or something else that's just mindless and reading up on more news that's discouraging and depressing. And I think anyone who's been a follower of Jesus for any length of time has experienced that. It's kind of like someone who has an amazing crush on someone and finally marries the woman or the man of their dreams and then eventually finds, ah, it kind of gets ordinary. But you see, the God of the universe is near. He's right here. And we get to spend time with him, People. This is what prayer is. It's simply spending time with the God of the universe. We get to worship him. We get to read his words. We get to spend time in his presence. And yet so often, the wonder of being with God is somehow kind of turns into an apathy or a have to or, or just something we do out of duty. I love how Francis Chan puts it. 
Francis Chan you know, describes you know, Christians that come into a worship service. And he says, it's amazing that we could come into a time of worship as a church and you know, stand as a body of believers and, and sing out these songs of glorifying God. And, and he goes, and believers, we could sometimes walk away from that worship time and we could say, you know, I, I didn't really like worship today. It, w- it was too repetitious. We've sung that song before too many times, or the chorus went too often, or it was too fast, or it was not upbeat enough, or, or we need to change the style, or sing a different style, or too much guitar, or too much drums, or not enough, or needs more auto-tune, whatever it is. And we can complain and just say, I didn't really like it. It didn't really do it for me. And Francis Chan asked the question, and he said, did you ever think that worship wasn't about you? It wasn't about your experience but it's about turning to the, the God of the universe. Did you ever think about the angels spoken of in the book of Revelation in chapter 4 that are currently at this moment worshiping before God 24-7 at his throne and declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty every day as the elders drop their crowns before him. In fact, let's look at that passage, Revelation chapter 4. It opens up with the Apostle John getting this incredible revelation from Jesus, this vision of the throne room of God. It's apocalyptical literature, so some of the language is a little strange and weird, but everyone there at that time understood it, and so uh, don't get caught up in the weirdness, but it has symbolism to it. But check out this picture of this dwelling with God here. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 begins. After this, John says, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. A rainbow shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and day and night they never stopped singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Day and night, night and day, they're singing out these words right now in the throne of God. And it says, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they sing out, you are worthy, our Lord and God receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being this is the image right now of the throne room of god as jesus is describing the majesty of his presence to his people happening right now as we sit here as we speak the angels are crying out in the presence of god holy 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 are you lord worthy are you O lord to receive honor and glory and power and everything that exists on the planet exists in the galaxies and the universe exists because of you and it's all for your glory do, do you have that picture in your minds because it's meant, it's meant to see it. It's not just meant to say it. Revelation, people get confused. It's meant because we're supposed to picture it. Imagine the beauty and the glory of this revelation. How insanely amazing that is. 
And then can you imagine one of the angels turning to another angel and say, ah, that was a lame worship time today. <laughs> I feel we just keep repeating the same words over and over. Are you getting tired of that, Frank? I'm getting tired of it. And he's like, Bob was out of tune, right? I couldn't even focus on the last holies because Bob was just singing out of tune. I'm just getting so frustrated. <laughs> if, we could, if we could have some auto-tune or maybe we get some reverb or maybe we change up the style. I mean, can't we pick a new song? I mean, do you think that's what the angels are singing up there? I mean, can you imagine that happening? And he's just, no. Why not? Because they're in the presence of Jesus. And he's enough. And they're so filled with awe and wonder and delight at being with God. For he's worthy of their affection. Yet how often do we fall into that trap of losing sight of his beauty and his glory and taking it for granted? The biggest difference, obviously, is they're physically present to him. And as Paul says, we can only see through a mirror dimly. But it doesn't change the reality. It's just our perception. God is near. We dwell with him. That's one of the reasons the book of Revelation is so amazing. I'm going to spend a little bit of time in here today because it's called, the book of Revelation is actually called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's called that because the book of Revelation gives the true picture of who Jesus is. For those Christians who were alive back then around the turn of the century, they had heard of Jesus, but Jesus had died 70 years before any of them had heard these things and seen this. So none of them had experienced, tasted, heard in any way of the life of Jesus. All they had heard, they, or directly from him, it's all been stories. And so Jesus gives them this letter to reveal himself to the church. And, and, and this is how he does it. He gives them this peek kind of behind the curtain to see him as he really is, to see a better picture of, of what it's like to, of what, to actually, what's happening right now and what, what God is doing while the church is being persecuted and suffering and is weary and is worn out. As the, the church back then was getting so focused on all the evils of the Roman government and the dictatorship who was literally slaughtering the Christians across the area. And they were weary and they were torn. Their neighbors were turning them into the government. And they were so, so weary and worn out. And as they watched their loved ones being killed for their faith, they're crying out, how long, oh Lord. Like David Bordner prayed and, and taught for us a couple weeks ago. And in the midst of this, right in the midst of that, Jesus brings them to the throne room and says, this is what's going on right now. And this letter, he's going to keep coming back to the throne room again and again and again. As he shows in the midst of all the pain and the darkness and the judgment, all the scary stuff going on on the earth, he keeps bringing them back to the throne room to a vision of Jesus on the throne. Saying, I'm right here. I'm present to you. And I'm not just that little Jesus you remember who died on a cross. Jesus knew what the early church needed and their pain and their suffering and their hardship and their weariness. They needed to be reminded of the, who the God is that they serve. That he is the one on the throne. They needed to get caught up in the wonder and beauty and might and power and holiness of this God who saved them and created the world for them. That this is the God that they worship. That even when persecution increases, even while the world around them seeks to destroy them and wipe them out, their hope is not in overcoming Rome. Their hope is not in their military might. 
Their hope is not even in the ending of their suffering this side of eternity. Their hope is found in Jesus alone. And so the entire book focuses on Jesus. All through the book, Jesus keeps pointing back to his might, his power, and his presence among them. The early church needed was desperate for a greater revelation of Jesus. They were worn out. They were weary. They were tired. They were fighting among themselves. They were becoming more enticed by their sins and the pleasures of the world and the distractions that the world had to offer than by Jesus himself. So Jesus gives them a greater revelation of himself, a picture present to them right in their midst, a peek behind the curtain. In fact, before this passage, back in chapter 1, Jesus opens up the letter with a picture of himself on the throne. And it's a picture of himself beyond anything they had seen before. Last time they had seen him, he was dying on a cross, weak, and then disappearing up into heaven. And here's the picture Jesus gives in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. He says, it was the Lord's day, this is John, and I was worshiping in the Spirit, and suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Later I'll say the seven lampstands, that's the church. So standing right in the midst of the church is Jesus. He was wearing a, a long robe with a gold sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like like mighty waves. He held seven stars in his right hand. What's the closest star to us? The sun. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. This amazingly majestic picture of a God who is not just a passive God with a sword to wipe out his enemies, who's standing in the midst of the persecuted churches, and remember, who he's giving this to is to John, and John the apostle who had laid his head upon Jesus' breast, the one who knew what Jesus' fart smelled like, he was so close to him, right? The guy who had been with him all the time and hung out with him all the time. That John, upon seeing the revelation of his best buddy Jesus, what happens? Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. He was so overwhelmed with the majesty and the holiness and the beauty of his best buddy Jesus that he falls down as though dead. He's so overwhelmed. While in prison on the island of Patmos, John needed a revelation of Jesus. It's been 70 years since he had seen his buddy. And Jesus opens up and says, I'm not just that dying man on a cross. This is who I am, and I'm right in your midst, and I am for you, and your enemies will be wiped out. It says then Jesus, he says, he lays his hand upon me and he says this, don't be afraid for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And here is, I hold the keys to death and Hades. He's telling that to a people who are dying for their faith, who are being persecuted and weary and suffering and hurting. And Jesus says, those governors, those government officials that are destroying your lives, they are not the ones with the power. It is I who hold the keys to death and life and Hades. Amen. The early church needed a reminder of just how privileged they were to be children of God. That this God, this holy, righteous creator of the universe, gave his life for them and is worthy of their praise. 
is worthy of their prayer, is worthy of their lives, and is even worthy of their death. And he's with them, and the Lord is near. Therefore, they don't have to be anxious, as Philippians says. I come back to this passage again and again and again and again because I so easily lose sight of it. The world just gets bigger and bigger in my vision, the enticements, my phone, my garbage, the games, all the other things get bigger and bigger. And so frequently I have to come back here and recenter and say, yes, Lord, this is what's going on right now. And you are Lord. And you're here with me right here, right now, as I just sit in my bedroom and open my Bible and begin to pray. And today I feel that as a church, globally and here in America and here in Mill Creek, we need a greater revelation of Jesus. I mean, anyone here feel a little weary? Anyone prone towards apathy in this season? Feel exhausted and and tired? Anyone feel that maybe Satan is gaining too much ground? And feel like it seems as Christians, we just keep taking too many losses? Are any parents tired of our children being led away by the world? And he would just feel tired. And that sometimes it's hard to spend time with God as he just sometimes feels distant when things feel hopeless. You know, I've had multiple people come to me in the last month or so and say, James, can you please just stop talking about living and loving like Jesus? <laughs> I'm just tired. I get that it's weary. Can you just speak about hope and nice stuff and the easy stuff? And I get that. I'm sure there's others who can relate to that here. I just won't say it. But that's just a tiny fraction of what the churches of Asia Minor were dealing with when this letter is written. They were so overwhelmed with grief and loss and heartache and pain. And at every corner, the evil empire was winning. At every corner, it seemed that Satan was winning. Everywhere they looked, it seemed they were losing and Satan was winning. And Jesus' response to them actually wasn't to end their suffering. It wasn't to destroy Rome, but to say, look at me. Right in the midst of the weariness, in the midst of the pain, open your eyes and see that I am with you. And I am not an impotent God who is far away. I am the Lord God Almighty, and I am right here with you. Amen? And I hold the keys to death and Hades, And while it may seem like we're losing battles, he says, I win the war and you come with me. Amen? Fact in chapter five, he says, keep praying. He says, your prayers are incense before me. Check this out, chapter five, verse eight. It says, and when he took the scroll, the four living beings, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they had these gold bowls filled with incense. And what is the incense that is filling the throne room of God? It's the prayers of his people. It's our prayers. For for the people that time, they're feeling, does God even hear my prayers? Do they they even go anywhere? He says, in fact, not only do I hear them, your prayers are the very air that I breathe in the throne room. They are the incense that fills it. So keep praying. I hear them. They bring me joy and they fill the space where I'm at. Jesus says, keep praying. They don't fall on deaf ears. 
You see, these pictures are more real than anything we can see, taste, or touch. This isn't just some false hope. This is a real reality that this Jesus is near. This is who we're in a relationship with. This is who we talk to when we pray. This is who we're listening to when we remain silent. This is the God who longs to spend time with us. This is the God who meets us in our times of prayer, who created us for fellowship with him. You know, my favorite example of this revelation is found in the book of 2 Kings. The prophet Elisha, he was uh, in a difficult place or because the, the king of, of Aram was, was trying to attack the Israelites. And, and Elisha kept telling the king of Israel about all the battle plans through prophetically from God of what he was doing. And the king of Aram got really angry about this and said, tell me what's going on. He finds out it's actually it's Elisha who's been hearing from God and telling the king all his battle plans. And so he says, I'm done with it. And the king of the Arameans, he actually gets an entire army, thousands of soldiers he sends after one man, Elisha. And his servant is there with him. And we're going to pick it up at 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14. It says this. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. Like thousands of soldiers surrounding this dude's home. When the servant of the man of God, this is just his young servant, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Could you imagine? Everywhere, just just sea of soldiers there to destroy you. It's not fake. It's not imagined. It's real. The whole army gathered against one man. Elisha's servant is freaking out. What do we do? Notice Elisha's response. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. For there are more on our side than on theirs. Now that sounds nice. But Elisha's servant doesn't get it. The enemy is winning. He's freaking out. They've lost. God may be big. I'm sure he believes that, but he's far away. His problems are right in his face, staring at him. The enemy is literally right there, bearing down on him, and he's praying to a distant God who maybe hears, maybe doesn't. He's sure he exists, but he's not there in that moment. What's there in that moment is this problem of thousands of soldiers ready to destroy you. He's freaking out. Anyone identify with that in any way? Feel like, God, I know you're real, but you sure seem distant right now. But what's real right now is the situation my kids are in, or my job, or my health, or my family, or whatever it is. Like, that's real. You seem distant. Next verse. The Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. I love this. This was the real reality. God was right there in power, and he'd been there the whole time. The servant just couldn't see it. Elisha knew. The servant couldn't see it until he had a revelation, until his eyes were opened. And this is what God is saying in the letter of revelation to his church. He's saying, I'm right here. Turn to me. Trust in me. Worship me. Keep praying. Don't grow weary. Don't give up whether you see me or not. The people in Revelation, they're hurting. They're being attacked. They feel like Satan is winning all around them. The evil government and those in power appear to be winning every battle. And Jesus says, I am right here in your midst. And I hold the keys to death in Hades. And so keep praying. 
fills the temple. And Jesus shows us his insane power. Amen? Anyone here weary? My prayer is a fresh revelation of Jesus. And so why am I talking about this, spending 30 minutes on this and a message on prayer? Because prayer is how we spend time with this God. Whether it's through talking to him or listening to him or reading his word or just sitting in silence. Prayer isn't just some duty we do because we have to. It isn't just asking God to get us out of a jam. Prayer isn't some last resort we're supposed to resort to when every other opportunity fails. Prayer is spending time with this God. Prayer isn't some magical phrases or our desire to you know, teach God theology through quoting endless scripture at him. Or thinking if I just say the right things in the right way, then God will eventually be moved and he'll be so annoyed and that he'll finally have compassion and answer it. I just gotta find the right angle, the right secret, the right life hack in some way, then God will hear me. And maybe if I just listen to other great prayers and steal some of their words, it'll work better. Praying to this God shouldn't be a, a dry ritual. It shouldn't be a chore. It doesn't require fancy words in King James English. It's not trying to manipulate God to do what we want or just keep you know, incantations of words we think eventually we'll respond to, of hocus pocus or abracadabra like prayers. You know, crazy thing. You know that phrase hocus pocus that has been used in witchcraft and other stuff? Do you know where it comes from? It comes from communion. Did you know that? That phrase, that meaningless phrase, this throws hocus pocus, comes from communion. It was used to describe Jesus' words at the Catholic Mass being done where it says, this is my body. Jesus quoting that phrase, this is my body. When they would say that in Latin, it was done as hoc est enim corpus. And those people back then didn't speak Latin. Eventually it got broken down to hocus pocus. It's this idea of actually praying the Lord's Prayer at communion of seeking God turned into this weird thing that became just a magical phrase to repeat of nonsense. And you can say witchcraft stole that from us in some way, sure, but so how often do our own prayers just become meaningless repetition, just going through the motions and just saying stuff because we feel we're supposed to, trying to impress others when we do it out loud. I like how Rick Warren says, he says, longer isn't stronger in prayer. Simply spending time with the God who is near. Recognizing who it is that we're actually talking to. It's why when the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray, how does he start? He says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. Why does he start there? Because as you begin praying, remember who you're talking to. The holy God Almighty. And so often we forget that as we just throw out prayers and dry, and ah, I don't want to spend time with him. He's not a distant blimp, but he's a God who deeply loves us, who gave his life for us, who has eyes of fire and a giant sword coming out of his mouth with power to wipe out enemies with just the sound of his voice. Little later revelation, there's this whole army gathered at Armageddon. It's like this climactic battle you'd see maybe in Lord of the Rings and the Battle of Helm's Deep. All the armies of the world gather together, and it says, and Jesus just says, It's finished. So anticlimactic. It's over. A word from his mouth, and it's over. And in Revelation, you'll see so often, instead of being identified as the lion, increasingly he's identified as the lamb. 
the suffering lamb who's tender and cares, is gentle and kind, who doesn't break bruised reeds and doesn't snuff out smoldering wicks. So as we pray, may we continue to pray with Paul for a greater revelation of Jesus. May we continue to keep his majesty and his might and his wonder and his loving kindness before us and spend time praying and may our prayers fill his temple, church. Amen? It's not complicated. It's not difficult. I love it. There's a story about Vince Lombardi, the famous Green Bay Packers coach. After a difficult season one time, he was, the team had, it really had a terrible finish. The team gets back to the beginning of the next practice, the next season, and they're expecting to you know, pick up where they left off and start again. And instead, Vince holds up an old football, and he just says, hey, gentlemen, this is a football. And he said, turn to page one in your playbook. So they began talking about tackling drills. And in the beginning stages, he said, when you go back to the basics. And with prayer, so often what we're seeking after is life hacks, like Zeb was talking about a couple weeks ago. We're seeking after secrets and advanced courses and what is the new thing? I need a new book, a new thing. What's the next thing I can learn to take me deeper into a prayer life? And I love the great um, scholar and, and just saint, Thomas Merton, once said, we do not want to be beginners at prayer. He says, but let us be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything but beginners all of our life. There's no great secrets to prayer. The famous scholar and spiritual giant, um, John Chapman, he was a monk, and he was regularly sought after by those wanting to cultivate deeper spiritual life back in the, tw- the, t- the 20s of 1900, 1920, 1930, around then. And they used to write to him, and he'd write back letters. He'd collect them all in a, let- a thing called spiritual letters. You can read some of it. But they'd write him all these questions, those wanting to really deepen hunger. Lifelong prayer warriors wanting to deepen the, the, the depths of their prayer life. They'd write him, and he had two maxims he repeated frequently. Really deep, profound truths. Ready for it. Number one, pray as you can. Do not try to pray as you can't. That's the depth of the first one. Just pray as you can. Don't get caught up in trying to pray all the stuff you can't. If you don't like journaling, if you don't like this, you don't like science, just, just pray as you can. That's his great advice for people in praying their whole lives. Just keep praying as you can, not don't try to pray as you can't. Pray what, what comes. And the second one, he says, the more you pray, the better it goes. I love it. There's the deep secrets of a spiritual giant. Pray as you can, not as you can't. And the more you pray, the better it goes. Because there's no way to learn how to pray other than praying. There's, There's no way to grow and be able to communicate to God other than just talking to Him. To the God who is near. And I love that simplicity. And that's my primary application today. Is, is first for those of us who don't have a regular time of spending time with God. If you're here and you don't have a, a daily rhythm of spending time with God, I, I just want to give the most basic application there is. Show up and commit today to say, Lord, I want to spend some time with you. This God of the universe. And pray as you can. Don't try to pray as you can. Maybe that's 30 seconds a day. Maybe it's a minute, maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 15, I don't know, wherever it is. If you don't have a regular practice, just begin today, even if it's just 30 seconds when you wake up, while in the shower, while driving your car to work. There's only really one rule in praying, and that's just be honest with them. Don't fake it. 
Don't try to pray someone else's prayers unless you actually are reading through things and wanting guidance in that. Don't try to be like someone else. Just be honest with God. Tell him about your day. Tell him about your struggles. Tell him about your porn addiction. Talk to him about your struggle with with lust or other things or with alcohol or the problem in your marriage or whatever else is going on. Just talk to this God and be honest because he wants to be with you. Just That's the only rule. Just be honest. If all you got is 30 seconds a day, then start with 30 seconds a day. And you say, God, I don't know what to say to you. I don't even know if you're real. I don't know where you're at or what's going on. But I just want to say I'm here. I'm hurting. And if you're real, man, I'd love for you to show up. There's your prayer for the day if you're at that place. Maybe even wrestle with pornography and just take the Lord. Lord, I'm here again. God, I don't even know what to say because I just feel so disa- such a disaster. But the preacher told me to, to pray, so here's my prayer. Great. Pray as you can. Not as you can but be honest with him. Tell him how you really feel. If you don't know where to start in your prayer, follow the example of Jesus. And that's where I love to start and just remember who you're praying to. Just, Father, I love to come back to this throne room image again and again and again. Just come back and say, Lord, here's where you're at. I am with you right in this place, Lord Jesus. And then I talked about my day, about my kids, my wife, my struggles, the frustrations, the church, other people, and just talk with them about what's going on. It's, it's not some rote kind of thing. It's just conversing with the God of the universe and spend a couple minutes reading through a gospel or reading through something else and spend a couple minutes listening if he wants to say anything to you. It could take 10 minutes. It could take 15 minutes. It could take 30 seconds, but show up is the most important thing. And so if you don't have a regular time, my challenge to you, they commit just at least starting this week every day show up and just take a minute or 10 or 15 whatever you got turn off the music turn off the podcast on your commute whatever it may be and spend some time with him begin a habit of spending time with god and for those who already have the habit and i know that's many of the people here especially if you've been discipled by steve you probably pray every night with your wife and your husband You probably also read through the Bible every year. It's been incredible history and the legacy of this church and prayer and spending time with God, and that's amazing. If that's you, I want to just encourage you this week, I want to give you a prayer exercise, something to challenge with. And you can find it if you go to our website under sermon resources. It's on the last two of the discussion questions you can find there online. What I would encourage you to do this week is ask the Lord for a greater revelation of Him as you read through Scripture and spend time in those two main passages we looked at today. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 19. Just read it again and again and just meditate upon that passage of God asking that we pray that we would get a greater revelation of his love, how deep and wide and how high and far it goes. And then Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, this throne room vision as we point our eyes up to God and we say, God, I need to see you in the midst of my life and my struggles and my pain. Each day this week, read those passages. And ask the Lord to be present to you in the midst of your life and recognize the reality of him in our midst. Amen? Let's pray as we wrap up this morning. Jesus. What a gift it is that we get to worship you, Lord. We get to be called not just servants, but you call us friends, children. We get to call you Daddy and Abba, the God of the universe. In all your majesty and your holiness and your power and your strength, you are near to us.
And Father, right now, I just pray for those right now who are weary, who are struggling, who are tired, who can identify with the church of Revelation. And just feeling like the losses keep piling up. And they're saying, God, where are you? How long, O oh Lord? Jesus, I just pray this morning, right here, right now, Lord, may you give them a greater revelation of the reality of who you are at this moment, right here, right now, Lord. May you, as Elisha prayed over his servant, open his eyes, Lord. I pray for us, open our eyes, Lord Jesus, that we can see the true reality more and more of how amazing and wonderful you are and that you are right in our midst and not as some impotent God who died 2,000 years ago, but the God who raised from the dead, who is right in our presence, who is here with us in all your might, in all your glory, Jesus. Open our eyes, Lord Jesus that we may see you in your beauty and your glory and your might and your power. Father, burn through the apathy in our hearts. Burn through the enticement of sin that's overwhelming so many of us. And draw us into your arms, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father.